G'day everyone, welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining me again. My guest today wears many hats and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this discussion because it's not typical of the conversations I've been having around leadership and my guest today brings an incredibly important perspective to leadership that I have I haven't much to my regret uh, targeted in previous conversations but I will rectify that by having a chat with her today so by way of introduction my guest as I said wears many hats works uh, with professional sporting teams as a performance psychologist expert works in the university sector and is the owner of her own business Dr. Joe Lucan proprietary limited as director and owner can I welcome to the podcast Dr. Joe Lucans how are you man I'm very good thank you thank you for having me on Thank you for being here. So as I said, I have made it known through the podcast process that I'm, I'm trying to create a bank of, of conversations that people can access to just dig into the minds of my guests around the concept of leadership. But what I haven't done in any great detail, and I, I may have skirted around the edges on this, is discuss the psychology of leadership, which is why I asked you on today. And, and thank you for giving me your time to have the discussion. But before we get into it, can you, can you give me a background to the types of organizations organizations you work with and then we'll sort of take it from there if we can. Sure so I guess where my career started uh, was in the psychology space so as many of us do we have career paths that take us along windy roads I think sometimes we plan a career path that is going to be straight like a pine tree I guess with you know the logical progressions and I think I liken my career more to a, a bougainvillea a little bit windy, twisty, a bit prickly in parts, and um, but hopefully overall it's a it's a beautiful journey to to go on. So I actually started off my career thinking I was joining the police force. That's where I thought I was heading. And as a as a young school student, I was guided towards uh, doing some undergraduate study first, and and so I found myself in psychology uh, by accident. The school guidance counsellor misread the QTAC book, and I I I was growing up on the Sunshine Coast at the time. So I found myself in sunny Townsville, even though I could have gone to nearby Brisbane. And I think it's worth sharing sometimes some of those different moments that we have in our careers, because, you know, I, I was a fan of the movie Sliding Doors in the 90s. And, you know, you don't always know where your career is going to take you. So, so I found myself in psychology, I found myself particularly with an interest in sports psychology, I was really curious about mindset in sport. And that was because I, I enjoyed sport myself, I wasn't particularly at the highest of heights in that, but really did appreciate sport. And so with that, I did some research in that particular area. And one of the things that I love about living in North Queensland is the opportunities it presented me. You know, I got to do so many things that I may not have done in a major centre. So not long after I graduated, the North Queensland Cowboys started up as a team up here for those who follow those of your listeners that follow rugby league. And I know there are many of those. So I started with a club in 1996. The, the head coach at the time was a fellow by the name of Graham Lowe, who I know would be familiar to many. And he looked across the desk at me in the demountable office that he had that was sitting in what then became the car park. And he said to me, Joe, I'm looking for a combination between Lois Lane and Sigmund Freud. Are you up for it? And with all the confidence of a then young 25-year-old, I looked him square in the eye and said, absolutely. I had no idea what he meant by that. I don't think he'd actually worked with a sports psychologist before then. So I guess I could carve my own path. And so I started with the team. And so that was 23 years ago or how, probably even longer, longer ago than that, 26 years ago, I think. And so my career has woven its way through academic environments, sporting environments. Uh, I've worked with organisations and I've worked with schools and particularly 
you know, in the school space. I've, I've helped work in wellbeing programs where we've supported school leaders, you know, principals, uh, deputy principals and so forth. So lots of different environments. And, and so I think sometimes people hear my career trajectory and say, wow, you're doing so many different things. In some ways, I don't think I am. I think that the basic principles of high performance and what that looks like and even the, many of the lessons of leadership translate across different sectors. So I now find myself, if we fast forward myself, fast forward myself from those days in the 90s when I finished my degree uh, to now, I now am the mental skills coach for three elite level teams. So for the North Queensland Cowboys about to commence in the season for the Melbourne Boomers and the Women's National Basketball League and about to go on a great adventure in October and November supporting the PNG Orchids, which is the PNG women's rugby league team who will be contesting the World Cup in the UK later this year. So that's where I find myself from a sports perspective. I also present with, uh, and I really feel very, so very grateful for this opportunity that I work with the Australian Defence Force in a whole range of different units and roles within that as a consultant. So in that consultant space, so I'm, I, I don't have a defence background myself. And I think that's probably why I come in in my niche area. And so I help soldiers who are returning to work. I assist soldiers who are transitioning out of defence. I help soldiers who are in the Run Army program, you know, and and then, of course, across that leadership sector in defence. And what I find is when I speak to people in defence, they're often very curious about what happens in sport. And when I speak to people in sports settings, they're very curious about what happens in defence. So, again, speaks to... I've just realised, Eric, I'm turning this into a long answer for you, but but I but I realise that you know, psycho what what we know from psychology is that success leaves clues, and if we follow the clues, then we can you know go on to to learn great things. So I, I do think the parallels between different environments. I'm a really curious person by nature, and so I think whatever we can do to observe leadership in other contexts, there'll be something in there for us to learn. That's probably one of the best um, scene settings I've had in quite a while to uh, a guess. So thank you for that. I, I would be um, I would be disingenuous if I didn't say I fully love that response because I'm the same way as well. I think you learn from different environments. And if my conversations now, I'm not comparing obviously because you've had direct lived experience in these different industry sectors, but what I'm hearing from different guests, from the experiences that they bring to the table, I've been able to draw things out where I'll go, yeah, really like that. Yeah, don't agree with that, but don't have time to have the conversation now to get into the weeds of why I don't agree with it. But I think what this process has done, at least for me, having these conversations, I have to say, is getting to the nub of what works for people and what doesn't. And the things that trigger you one way or another, a good signpost to say, well, here is the pathway to better sorry, I hate using that word, to more effective leadership versus leadership that is sort of not not as effective as it could be. And so my question then, um, given that introduction, and again, amazing background you've had, is when people talk about leadership in the context that you're seeing, do you is it more of a whole of person perspective that you bring when you're looking at leadership or are you bringing it from the perspective in the context in which people operate? And, and where I'm going with this is I have hosted and spoken to many individual leaders from a defense view of the world and they tell me how they've they learnt the 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 skill, the process of leadership in an army context. And when they then went translated into the into the civilian world without 
exception, they say it's a tougher gig to be a leader in the corporate sector than it was in the military. Whereas as a as a person myself outside of looking in, I would have said it should sound shitloads harder to do leadership in the army because it's so regimented. But I'm bringing the perspective there is a very hierarchical structure in the military, whereas in the corporate sector, once you're dumped into a role of leadership, there is no structure around that. You are the one setting the pay. So it's it's quite uh, there's quite some. Um, weird comparisons and parallels between those two worlds. And so I'm interested to ask you, is it the person that you deal with from a psych psychological perspective or is it the context in which they operate or is it a mix of those things? I think it's a great question. What a great one to start with. So I, I think it's, for me, it would have to be a blend because I think whoever we are in any individual context is we're just taking all of us into there, but maybe, you know, parking some of the elements of us to one side while we're engaged in something. And it's interesting, your perspective on the views of leadership within defence, you know, and I guess I, I, I've kind of had a front row seat to that in the last six years that I'm really grateful for because you, you're so right that one of the things that defence has that no other private sector environment has is that very clear structure and rank and respect for rank. So regardless of what we might think of the individual within the rank, the rank precedes that and, you know, is, is you know, that's that's what what sets the tone for all of that. And, of course, we see in the private sector, you know, in, in corporations and so forth, that you might have the rank but you don't have that that mechanism around it. And I think I think what I've found with all of the leaders that I've worked with and, and, and worked with many, and, and when you look at, you know, what that looks like when when that is done well, which is which is what you're talking about, is I think we, we we can't pretend that we're not the whole person that we are. So it would be, and in some ways is is recognizing, accepting ourselves for who we are and being mindful about that really sets a tone then to allow us to to lead within a given moment. In the discussions that I had in, in previous podcasts, the that ability to plan and have a plan B, C and D1 and D2 and you look at those contingencies, that's I think absolutely necessary, particularly if the, ind the individual I was speaking to was in a combat frontline position where the consequences of a, of a mistake can mean life or death consequences for yourself or for others. Interesting to me that would leadership, does leadership change depending on that context of pressure now i know that it I, I know from experience that it does the more pressure you have on you the more you're either going to respond and adapt to that pressure or not and from your experience do you think in the military context that they are trained to deal with ambiguity and change in a different way to those in a non-military context yes i i think that i don't think in the civilian context we we can understand, and maybe that's because we don't have the exposure to it, but just how mentally mentally flexible leaders within defence can be around that. That and and you know, and, and anything that I've ever had to deal with the with the military when things have had to go to plan B or C have, like you say, have been minor in their in their consequence, um, because you know, mine might be about, you know whether or not I'm giving a seminar on Friday or not, or the room has to change or, you know, when COVID came along and our programs all had to change because our programs have been face to face. So, so, you know, in the scheme of the world, they weren't, they weren't huge things, but just that ability to go, okay, what, what are we, what are we dealing with? What are our options? Let's just get on with it. I think what I've seen that done very well within defense. And, and I think there's, 
I think we underestimate how important that training is. And when I've seen people transition across from defence to civilian environments, and I've been fortunate to see that happen in many in many occasions, and when I've seen people move into workplaces, you know, one of the business partners of my husband's firm is ex-defence, and what he brings, the skill set he brings to the workforce, no one else has. It's it's exceptional, and I think you know we we would do well to have more ex-defence people in our businesses because and and to allow them to bring that skill set. Now sometimes that can make things a little more you know fixed or you know people don't necessarily adapt to that as well. But there's things to learn from both from both areas, and certainly I really love the leadership lessons that I've learned watching leaders within the military. That. Makes perfect sense, and and we could go down the rabbit hole of of defence and what you've learned there. But I'd, I I would be not doing my job as a as a host by not asking you around your work with high performing teams in that sporting arena and leadership. Now I am a rugby league fan. I love soccer as well, and I've I've interviewed coaches at different levels. And the fascinating discussion there is how do you manage how do you as a leader manage your teams when you've got teams of very professional people who are at their physical peak and it's not about training the basics it's about managing a group of stars to work as a team so um, do you have you found in your interactions with high performing teams that the the mastery of the leadership issue in those teams is how do you get a group of very individual uh, highly trained individuals work to work together um, as a team is that where the the crunch is or is it something bigger than that yeah I think I, I do think that's where a lot of the secret sauce sits you know it's it's about that ability to take very very highly capable people and how do we actually make them a high functioning team because of course sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't you know that and you know we, we always hear those old mantras of a team of champions isn't necessarily a champion team and all of those sorts of elements and and I think when I've seen it done really well and I've been fortunate to see that and work with lots of different coaches you made mention of the fact that you know those high performers have pretty much got the basics nailed and then it's how do you perform at that supreme level and what I've seen you know very successful coaches do if we look at, if we define success by championships and outcomes and so forth which let's be frank in the in the professional sporting world that's what counts in a lot of instances is a respect for the basics that I think when we are grateful for our foundations we understand what success looks like for us so even in some of the work that I do and I've done this with lots of teams we go back and revisit the basics and look at you know so all those fundamentals the one of the first things I like to work with an individual athlete on a high performing athlete is habits and habit formation, which I know sounds really basic and it's not very exciting and people go, oh, really? I thought it'd be something more magical than that. But the reality is, is, is that the key foundations for high performance, and here's some things that none of the listeners have ever considered, um, it's fuel, it's sleep, it's hydration, it's physical activity, it's habit formation, it's mindset. You know, like people hear me say that and go, well, yes, of course, Joe. And I, and I say, yes, of course. How well are you doing it? You know, so we've all got room to, you know, to grow on that and and habits to change and fundamentals. And, you know, there's lots of mantras that you'll hear me say and quotes and things that I like. But I'm I'm more often mindful myself that little by little, a little becomes a lot. So, 
you know, we can do lots of technical high performance sports psychology strategies and techniques, and we need to be able to manage disappointments and all those sorts of things. But none of it matters too much if you haven't got your foundations right, if you're not, you know, ticking off those boxes. And even though, you know, you might say something like fuel and fuel and rest and go, well, that's not really a psychology thing. It's absolutely a psychology thing because, the you know, at the end of the day, when in the end of the week, you know, when you're fatigued and you're tired and you're deciding on something to eat and a pie is a much easier option than a, you know, a, a home-cooked roast and veggies, say, you know, that it's, the, it's about the fact that athletes, even elite athletes, are not always motivated. So they need to have willpower and they're not always going to have the willpower, particularly at the end of the day, at the end of the week. So you've got to have habits. So if we if we've got enough habits in place, you know, then we we set ourselves up well for success. And so what we do every day matters far more than what we do every once in a while. So if we can get it right most of the time, we are ticking all those boxes to getting ourselves closer to high performance. And can I ask you, uh, in that sporting arena, I've often thought about this, but I've never had the opportunity to ask someone with some expertise the following. Is a coach in a high-performing team, I won't won't ask you to pick a a sporting code. I'm just, this is a generic question. It's more, is the coach better off being someone who's had a few degrees removed from the players in that he was never a player or did play the game, but not at an elite level, or is it better to get someone who was an ex player that has that knowledge of the, that intimate knowledge of what the other players are going through to become a coach? Because you see it in almost every code that's played at that elite level in Australia. Some of the coaches that come back that are the gun coaches were ex players to varying degrees of success. And then some gun coaches have never played professionally but have a love for the game. So what what's the what's the common factor between an individual in either of those camps? And is it a is it a factor of you just get the best coach and it doesn't matter? Or does it matter that you've had some intimate connection with what it means to to be part of an elite team? I think credibility with players is certainly an important part of it. And you might gain that credibility by your track record, your previous ex- experience. But I actually think the key element across both of those examples, because as you were saying it in my head, I was thinking of examples. So, and I'll just talk about an example that I watched from afar, not a team that I worked with, but the most recent state of origin match in rugby league is a good example of three former players coming together, coaching who actually had played with some of the players in the team. So, you know, it it wasn't anything from removed for some of them. And and then I think of other coaches I've worked with, and I'm thinking of one in particular who is, uh, didn't play at the level that they are coaching and is a different gender. So, you know, doesn't tick either of those boxes of familiarity, but what I think, and and I won't speak for the Queensland team because I don't know, but I can guess it's actually more about people management, I think. Um, you know, it's it's really about your ability. If you can connect with a human, but in this case, we're talking about athletes. If you can connect with an athlete, the athlete thinks, right, coach gets me. Coach understands what I need to do to reach my goals, attain my team goals if it's a team sport. If you can, if you can get that relationship formed, it's really about that relationship that I think that you form between, in this instance, coach and athlete. 
if you do that, you can take an athlete anywhere. I think you know that I you know I mean I mean obviously the coach needs to have the the technical expertise and understand the game plans and the strategies and have moved with the game in the times and all the rest of it. So there's 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 so much that goes into successful coaching, but I think that element that you're you're particularly focusing on at the moment is when you can connect with another human being. And we see that a lot in corporate settings. I see that in schools when I work with school principals, you know, if it's your teachers that are, I mean, aren't our teachers superheroes? They're amazing. Um, Our teachers are at the coalface dealing with the students and educating our children. And we've got so much to be grateful for, for them, for doing that. So the, the more the principal can then turn to their staff and they go, right, principal's got my back, the principal gets what I'm going through, then they'll go and do whatever it needs to be done. I'm loving this conversation. So let me ask you this, and I I typically ask this in the podcast, how do you define leadership? Now, Joe, you've worked with a lot of different leaders. If I asked you, could you give me the sort of the, the base of the recipe for effective leadership? What would those ingredients be for you? For me, that is, you know, that's one of those questions. I'm actually glad you're asking me that on the spot because if you'd asked me that, say, hey, Joe, I'm going to ask you this in a week, I would have spent the last week thinking about it because how good is that question and how well do I want to be able to answer that is the truth of it. So I'll I'll give you my off the cuff and we'll see where we get to with it. So for me, when I've seen leadership work well, it's been about, well, I think it first starts with the self-awareness of the leader about themselves, because before we can direct our attention effectively to anyone else, we need to know ourselves. So we need to know where we're at, because when we know ourselves, we can kind of be mindful and self-monitor ourselves. And then we're in a position that particularly through leadership, we can then respond in situations appropriately rather than, you know, go straight to reaction. So I think it starts with that self-knowledge and then I think when when I do look at what does a leader create for those for whom they're leading, I think there's a couple of key elements that I, you know, always come down as some of my fundamentals. So I think it's about creating an environment where there is a high level of trust, because I think if you can trust your leader, then what you're doing is you're making the environment safe. And what a safe environment will do for us is it will allow me to take risk. It will allow me to say, hey, Eric, how do you reckon it would go if we did this? Or I've been thinking about this play. I don't know how it's going to go because if I don't feel safe and I think I'm going to get shut down on it, I'm going to retreat and you're never going to hear anything from me. So I think that when we can create that trust in the environment, particularly trust and create safety for people, psychological safety I'm I'm referring to here. I mean, obviously we want to keep it physically safe, but, you know, that psychological safety I think is really important that allows me to take risks, ask questions, be vulnerable, you know, all those elements that I might want to do. Be curious. You know, curiosity is one of the key things. You bring that into a team and it'll be like, I wonder how we can beat such and such. I wonder how we can develop this play. So it'll be about that trust. It's certainly about, and we were just talking about it before, respect. You know, it's, I think that when we can, you know, and because if you respect someone, then you can have a difficult conversation. You can have a point of difference. You can respectfully disagree. So I think the respect is going to be important. Important. Clearly, we need to see commitment from our coaches, from our, from our leaders. So that means, you know, spending the time learning who the people are, what the tasks are, what that's going to look like. I couldn't go past not not including communication in it as well. So communication, I, I have a little model that I draw up when I when I do my workshops of 
of what are five key things around high performance and sitting smack bang in the middle is communication. It's the biggest thing in the circle. And it's kind of, I've, I've almost done it like it's a button. It almost sticks out a little bit further because it's the communication you create between people, but then it's the communication that's created within a person. So that, I know that sounds a bit abstract, but it's, it's basically recognizing the self-talk that we generate for ourselves and that's really key to, to high performance. And then if I, I'll throw one more into the mix. So what have I said? I've said trust, respect, commitment, communication, and care. Caring for the people. Now, caring for people, as we know, um, for those of us that you mentioned that you're a parent, I'm a parent as well, and I care deeply for my two sons, doesn't mean they always like what I do. You know, so caring for people isn't always, you know, like I do mean things like make them go to bed and eat vegetables and all those sorts of things. Uh, actually, those aren't really on the list now. They're a bit older than that now. So we've got those ones nailed. But I think that I think that when your athletes know that you care about them or your your staff know that you care about them or your soldiers know that you care about them, you know, whatever your, your teachers know that you care about them. I think you can ask a lot of people when when you've set those foundations up. So I don't know how that went for a kind of quick throw together answer, but hopefully that was okay. Definitely bring up something that that I wouldn't mind talking about just a little bit is I figure that that off the cuff, that visceral gut reaction is where you really think leadership is and everything you've talked about there is is amazingly important, critically important in some respects. For me, I bring other things into my personal view of, of capabilities around leadership, but the one that you've added to my mix of thinking and I, I didn't think this was going to get more complicated, but the more I think about it, the more elements come start to come together. And the degree to which those things are interconnected is what makes leadership a complicated process. What I find interesting in your response of the many things I find interesting in that response is that idea of creating a an environment where people feel like they can make mistakes and innovate and do the things that they're good at doing. Because if you don't create that, that psychological space i don't like i don't like using the term safe space because that has loaded connotations i just Mm -hmm. use psychological space to be able to be themselves i think that's important and i think if if you can build that and build trust you know that that idea that people will jump metaphorically on a grenade for you because they've got your back that's when you know you've got a team that that is prepared to do whatever it needs to do to get a task done um not sure if that means it's a super high performing team, but at least you can see that trust is built. The The other one that I'm thinking about a lot, and and I think you've touched on this throughout the podcast, is this idea of of the um of dealing with um dealing with people that are reflective practitioners of leadership. Understanding yourself um is I think that cornerstone of being able to help understand others. Because if you don't know what makes you tick and what um makes you function as a human being you're not going to be able to deal with that in others uh, because you're going to find there are days when people push back when people don't want to be cooperative or when you've got a client that's not happy about something or you've got a decision that's gone the wrong way that you have to be able to be flexible and and um you know, I don't know if pivot is the right word but an ability to move and change rapidly and you deal in that psychology space so let me ask you is it true that people by and large, human beings hate the change process, but know it's something that they've got to deal with and that some people find in their toolkit of leadership better ways to deal with and manage change than the average person. Is that a fair call? Well, yeah, I would I would agree that that I think effective leadership is about that ability to manage change because 
typically with the years of experience that you've probably got as a leader, you've had to develop and change that. Like I even look at, say, the sport of rugby league and having been involved in that since whatever it is, 96, so so 26 years. If you look at how different that sport is now, even if even outside of the areas that I work in, but, you know, in sports science and, and what we do with athletes and, you know, the facility that I know that we're in, which is incredible. So you've got to be able to adapt and change to those and what we do know is typically that the typical human response to change is to not particularly be keen for it because it causes disruption you know so you know I'm I'm always saying to people because I'm such a big fan of habits and I say you know habits are great because they save us from having to think and habits are terrible because they save us from having to think so when someone comes along and says now you're going to do it in a different way we're like, well, no, thanks, even if it is good for us, you know. So I can remember it used to be back in the day. I haven't noticed it so much recently, but I remember with all the new versions of Microsoft Word that used to come out, I used to think, what have you done with my favourite button? You know, like I had this button and it was here in the top left-hand corner and now I don't even know where it is anymore, you know, and I'm like, how terrible is this now? And then a month later I'm going, gee, I love this new version of Microsoft Word. So we know when it comes to change, the most typical human response to it is no. Um, and then so it is it is such a skill set to be able to recognise the need for change, but then to get other people to engage with the change, deal with all the, you know, the stages of change that we might go through as particularly within an organisation and take people along for the ride, if you like, help them navigate and and buffer the, the the tricky times and the backlash that can come and all of those sorts of elements. So it's absolutely a skill set. And you know, the one thing we know for certain is that life is full of change. So I think Lee, I think you're absolutely right in what you're saying there is that the ability to engage with that and do that is is absolutely integral for leadership. And particularly in sports. Sports are always changing because, you know, I worked with one team that's won three championships. And what we knew from one season to the next, absolutely, is that when there is a, so much pressure on a coach that's won a championship, so much pressure, because there is absolutely no way that next season you can turn around and dish out what you did this season, even though it was awesome and it won you the championship, because everyone is watching what you did. So everyone's trying to emulate that. So, of course, you've got to tweak it, modify it, change it, mix it up. So coaches are constantly facing, you know, what's what's the next bit of technology we can look at? How can we improve athletes' minds? How can we, you know, build their bodies and support them? What's, what's the next play that no one's thought of yet that's actually going to get us the results? So, you know, I don't know that leaders necessarily would define themselves as change agents, but I think that's that's such a big part of the job description outside of looking in the coaching job that that lifestyle being with the team and being you know part of that family of individuals looks like it would be an amazing journey to take but the amount of pressure on a coach that's one and then you know magnify that let's say you win two or three years in a row i think it exponentially grows because the expectation from those that don't know what it takes to um, manage and take a team to the, that that ultimate triumph at the end of a season to do that once is amazing to say you do it two and three and four years in a row yeah I think it would suck to be a coach at that point because <laughs> what one mis- one mistake and then suddenly the team isn't worth anything and that's um that's my own gripe with fair weather fans of, of sporting teams that if your team goes on a loss suddenly 
it's the end and the coaching sucks and the you know the, the club management is no good I, I think it's it's it is what it is and, and the fans are important I don't represent any rugby league team here so I can wax lyrical about this because you're outside looking in you think give these people a bit of a break they're p- putting their bodies through a lot of stress to get you entertain by you coming, you know, once a week to watch a game. So yeah, no, I understood where you're coming from. I, I before we go, I've got two more areas I'd like to talk to you about if, quickly, if I could. The difference between a leader, a coach, and a mentor. Have you given that much thought in that in that sporting world? Like the coach is in in of him or herself a leader, but coaching I think has some elements that are different to straight leadership so the leader of your football team will be a very will apply very different leadership lens than a coach and then a mentor is something different again so can you talk about that a little bit is that anything you encounter in in the work that you do Joe? yeah it it certainly is and i and i i think you're right that if we were going to draw three circles about a leader a, a mentor and a coach like you say there would be a lot of I think they're Venn diagrams from memory from my from my high school maths days. But, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be overlap there between some of the elements, but there's parts of those roles that definitely sit out distinctly from the common ground that they share. You know, they're dealing with people and 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 looking to for growth in people and and success and so forth. And and I know for my I'm just even thinking of my own personal journey, I was involved in a mentoring program last year where I had a number of professionals that I was mentoring. And that role is very different to what you might see in coaching or, or what you might see in, like you say, more of a, a straight leadership role. And, and I think where it gets complicated for people is because, of course, we know that leaders may at times mentor, a coach may at times mentor, you know, and, and that's that overlap that we're talking about there. So I think that the key thing is that when you hold one of those roles, is it, it comes back to that self-awareness piece again about what is my role here, what is my intent, and I'm a big fan of servant leadership. So who am I serving here and, and what is my, what can I bring to this, you know? And, and I think having that level of awareness and certainly setting up expectations, because I think that's the other thing to think about is that sometimes when people say, you know, hey, Eric, I'd like you to mentor me, it's really important that you have a pretty good idea of what they mean when they say that, because, you know, we all have our different definitions around mentorship and leadership. And so meeting those expectations, and, and then that comes back to what we were talking about before, clear communication. It's, it's so critically important that when we, when we invest the time into understanding the human who's in front of us, what the intention is, what we can potentially achieve together, then we can, then we can do that and do that well. Joe, final area to ask you, and I, I, I want to keep this as consistent with my podcasting as I can, the, the nature versus nurture question, are leaders born or are they made? Or some combination of the two. Yeah, no, no, no. Again, gosh, Eric, you've really got my brain twisting today, which I really appreciate. So, and curiosity is one of my favorite things. I think I said that before. So this is an interesting one. I think that from a, from a nature perspective, I do think some people have a head start. I do think some people have a head start on leadership in that for whatever reason, you know, because we do see it with young children, you know, and I've been interested in some of the, the research and the data on on kids and self-regulation and a whole range of other elements, you know, which all tap into leadership as well. So there's no doubt that 
that that's got to play a part in it, I think, you know. But then very much it is also about the environment that we're raised in, the opportunities that we have, the role models that we see, because we know certainly from a very, very young age, we know that our children are sponges and so you know, they, they're, they're watching us very closely in terms of how to interact with people. I, I, I mean, they're not, the nice thing about this thing is I don't think I'm going to be proven right or wrong because we're never going to know the answer to this question. But I, I am a firm believer in what I call a performance mindset when it comes to, to leadership. So some people have, a, some people talk about it as a fixed or a growth mindset. I tend to talk about it as a fixed or a performance mindset. We're saying the same thing. It's just Joe likes to phrase it a little bit differently. So please, anyone listening, don't think you are stuck where you are. You know, and even if you're in a great place, you're not stuck. You're not going to stay there forever either. So I think when we see ourselves as a work in progress, when we understand that we've always got places to grow and to learn as leaders and on our leadership journey, I think that's a that's a good place to put ourselves because then we can forgive ourselves when we make mistakes. You know, then we can forgive ourselves when we don't quite get it right. And if we come from a performance mindset, we'll be braver and more courageous in trying new things and being okay with how that come that how that rolls out as an outcome. So um, I think I did a good job there of sitting on the fence on that one. But I'm going to say to you that I think that, as I said, I think some of us have a head start. Some some people have a head start in terms of leadership purely because they chose their parents well. And then I think that um, I think definitely leadership can be created, curated, mentored, coached all of those elements um, sourced out and and then through lived experience as well. Joe, thank you for that. I, I would love to offer you to come back and we can keep talking around uh, these leadership topics. I think there's a wealth of um, experience you can bring to the table just to expand people's sorry, to expand people's thinking around what leadership is. And if anything, what I'm trying to do is create that a setting with the podcasting as much as you can do that with conversations, obviously, uh, to build your toolkit around, well, what are other people thinking around this? What what don't I know? And, um, you know, I'm, I, I subscribe to this idea that if you're a lifelong learner, you'll take something out of every interaction you have. And if you're purposely looking for what, what does more effective leadership look like, then you'll try and find it not just within your own sphere, I think looking outside yourself is a good way to um, just expand that toolkit a little bit. Every one of us has um, that toolkit there. I think we all bring different things to it. And it's for me, it's what works for you. I don't think there's a, a generic set of things that will work for everyone because we apply things differently. I think our situations from a, a world of work context changes as well and, and you've made that fairly clear that the different worlds that you've moved through will require different things of, of people and you know, that habit forming will be very critical in the world you're working because you don't want your athletes to be boozing up every day or smoking cigarettes or recreational drugs on a daily basis like you know you don't you, you want habits that form that are positive without it impeding um, other things that you might do so look before we go joe can you tell us what you're doing at the moment and give us a plug for your business if you can? Oh, thank you for that. So I 
am doing all sorts of things at the moment. So um, most importantly, I'm raising my two beautiful sons with my husband. So that brings me much joy. One's in grade 10 and one is in his second year of his adventure through uni. So that's that's a good place to be. So we're based up in sunny North Queensland. And so I'm really grateful, as I said, that I get to work with lots of different, I, I, I've hit that point in my career. Um, so my children tell me that I'm old, but I just say that I'm wise because um, I've been around for a long time. So I have the opportunity to really choose the, the work that I do, the conversations that I have. And I think that's probably a, a nice place for me to be. So I'm, I'm writing books. I'm, I, I do consulting and obviously really love my time working with athletes and coaches and that privilege of kind of you know, sneaking behind the wire at the army, although I do do it with the base pass, I don't really sneak, but also sneaking behind, you know, the conversations in elite sport as well. So it's a pretty nice place to be. If people would like to get in contact with me, all they've got to do is remember my name, Joe Lukens, and you'll probably find me on whatever flavor of social media you prefer. Uh, LinkedIn is always a good one. And then I've got a website. And so I have written three books. So I've got a, my first book is The Elite, which is the lessons I've learned from working with elite athletes. My second book is In the Grandstands, which is a parent's survival guide for teenage sport. More power to you if you're in the trenches doing that. And my new, well, I call it a book, but it's more of a journal. It came out in July. It's a sort of a hybrid journal, if you like. So it's it's actually focusing on those five key foundations of high performance. So fuel, rest, mindset, habits, and gratitude. And so it takes people through each of those on a monthly basis and has I, my, my little innovation that came out of COVID for myself in my business was I put little QR codes all the way through the journal. And so people can click onto the QR code because we've all gotten very good at that. And then so there's about two hours of training embedded into the journal. I think there's about 16 different videos. So rather than just getting a worksheet and reading it and saying, do this, you actually can jump into the jump into the video and have a little chat with me and I'll um, explain how to do it. And um, so that's that's been a really fun project to work on. And, and thankfully, that's getting some nice feedback as well. So my next book's going to be on referees. Both of my sons are the touch football referees. So I don't think we do enough for our referees. So I'm going to, it's a little bit of an indulgent project. I'm going to write a, a book about referees. So I won't reveal the title yet, but because I haven't written anything. So I'll, I'll get that done first. Dr. Joe Lukens, thank you for your time. My pleasure, Eric. Thank you for having me on the show. And for those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. As always, thank you for following the podcast. Stay safe and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of the podcast.